A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Four days from now, we will celebrate the season with our wonderful Christmas Eve services, as is our tradition, only virtually, which isn't our tradition, but still it will be lovely. At 8 and 11, it'll be the traditional candlelight service, and at 5.30, the one for families. It's the one where the kids and the grandkids bounce off the walls with energy. Only this year, it'll be your walls. FYI, you might want to have a drywall company on retainer just in case. If you've ever been, you know that it's a little bit chaotic. It'll be different this year, but, but let me describe what it's normally like for those who've not attended. And it's not always exactly the same, but when the story is read from the Gospel of Luke about the shepherds watching over their flocks by night, well, that's when the shepherd family, a family dressed in shepherd costume, comes down the aisle, and the kids who are there, they don't have to just sit and watch. Some of them have been assigned the role of shepherd if they're willing, and they wear the shepherd headdress, and they all come forward. And then the angel story is read, singing in that field, Gloria in excelsis Deo, you know angels sing in Latin, right? And they pick up along the way the angel kids who have the halo on their head, and they come forward, and then after that, the Holy Family. Now, you need to understand that with the angel casting and shepherds, we don't do typecasting. The troublemakers aren't given the role of shepherd and the sweet ones given the role of angels. It's, it's a little more dynamic, which is to say messy, but also beautiful. During this season of Advent, I've been trying to imagine the casting that happens in the heavenly scene when all of these roles are handed out. There's a lot more going on in this story than just what we read of Gabriel and Mary. Luke's Christmas pageant is pretty big. There are four singing parts, so we'll need some good, strong voices, music. And of course, there's the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus. We'll, we'll need a baby, and not just one. 
Mary's relative Elizabeth and her husband, they have a baby, and, and we'll need, so we'll need little kids and babies, and we'll need shepherds, of course. We'll need Simeon and Anna. They take Jesus to the temple, and there they are, and Anna's in her 80s. Old and young will be in this Christmas pageant, and of course we'll need angels singing the glory of God, and among them, one archangel, Gabriel. I've tried to imagine the day Gabriel learns he got this part. I picture all the angels crowding shoulder to shoulder there, looking at the bulletin board. There's the list of who got what, and, and Gabriel sees his name, and he gives it just a little fist pump. Yes! You, you, you didn't know angels do fist pumps, right? He is so excited, maybe a little nervous. I mean, you don't want to mess up a scene like this. He keeps rehearsing his lines, walking around, pacing. There's that line where he has to say, don't be afraid, Mary. Be not afraid. Because, of course, she's going to be afraid. I mean, who wouldn't when an angel shows up and the news that he brings that she, a virgin, is going to conceive and bear the Son of God? Oh, my gosh. And he has that other great line, nothing will be impossible with God. Let's hope so. In actuality, this is not Gabriel's first part. In the book of Daniel, in the First Testament, he is given a role. Only it's not it's not very uplifting. He, he interprets this message that, that God is about to destroy this foreign army that's godless, and it sounds like he's predicting the end of the world, or at least the end of the age. I mean, it's horrific. It's the kind of part that could get you typecast. You could always be the heavy, the villain. And so maybe, maybe Gabriel was always trying out, hoping for a part like this, and, and finally he gets his wish. Actually, in the Gospel of Luke, he gets two scenes, the one we read and the one just before it. And Luke positions them side by side so that we might see where they overlap, what, what's alike in them, what's different. In the first scene, it happens in Jerusalem, the city of God, in the temple. In the one we read, it's in rural bedraggled village of Nazareth, nothing to write home about. In the earlier scene, Gabriel says to Zechariah, the priest, that he and his wife Elizabeth, even in her old age, barren, will conceive and bear a child. And, and in this scene, Mary, a virgin, will conceive and bear a child. But the contrast and comparison goes on. In the first one, Zechariah says, how will I know that? Which is kind of a crossed arms, that's the way he would play it. You've got to be kidding me. You expect me to believe that? He, he, he doesn't believe. Mary asks a question in her scene, but it seems to come from a place of faith and wonder, how can these things be? We called this series Home by Another Way. Well, the answer is by another way. Both of these conceptions will be by the work of God. This will be God's doing. And in that former scene, 
the couple will have a boy. They'll name him John. We know him as John the baptizer. And Mary will conceive, and she will bear a child called Jesus, which, which means the Lord saves. But here's the thing about pageants in the church, Christmas or otherwise. They are supposed to continue after the performance is over. Here's what I mean. My good friend David May tells a story about going to see the Passion Play, the Easter story, down in Arkansas. As some of you know, the world-famous Passion Play is done in Oberammergau, Germany, every 10 years. But there's one they do down in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, that's it's got a reputation. It's pretty good. And David and Pam went, and, and there was the big cast and the live animals and the sets and everything. And then when it was over, he said, the parking lot was chaos. People refusing to let others out, gesturing, honking, yelling at each other. David said, think about it. We had just seen the story of Jesus raised from the dead, and the angel says to the women, go and tell the good news. And it didn't even get past the parking lot. The thing about the church's pageants is it's supposed to continue past the performance. What I mean is, not that Gabriel keeps showing up to young virgins and saying, you're going to bear a child, but that the story that was started continues. See, I, I didn't mention this part, but in Luke's pageant at the casting, someone has to play the part of the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus. You remember, it sounds like a hallmark moment, and he decreed that everybody should... But it's, that's not what's going on. The census was about taxation so that he and the elites could feast while the poor, like Mary and Joseph, eked out a living. Reading the Christmas story through the eyes of justice, it reminds me of a fascinating book called The Gospel in Solitaname. Father Ernesto Cardinal was a Nicaraguan priest. He lived among the peasants in a village during the Somoza dictatorship in the 70s. And Somoza ran roughshod over the poor. 25 years after that, the faculty where I taught, David and others, we went to visit there to hear the stories that continued. And we have never seen such poverty. People who live in the city dump, trying to find food. Well, Cardinal, as a priest, would, of course, hold mass on Sundays, but not in the usual way. Before they got to the Eucharist, instead of a homily or a sermon, he would read the scripture for the day or have someone else read it. He would offer a few comments, but then open it up for these people to talk about it. On this particular day, when this passage was read from the Gospel of Luke, they'd had a lunch of rice and beans and turtle, and a young girl named Gloria was given the honor of reading the story. I love that. A young girl reading the story of young Mary and her name, Gloria. Cardinal offered a few comments, but then they, they talked about it. They said, he... He was born from poor people, and, and he came to liberate. That is how the Christmas story continues beyond the parking lot.
I read a few weeks ago an article by Helen Prejean, the Roman Catholic sister nun who, of course, was made famous in her book, Dead Man Walking, and the movie that came out after it. I, I saw the movie. I didn't read the book. I heard an interview with her even again this week. As you know, she's worked tirelessly to put an end to capital punishment. And I remembered parts of the story. Maybe you remember how in 1982 she was asked if she would write a letter to Patrick Saunier, who was on death row. And she did, and that story is told in the book and in the movie. And then two years later, as their friendship had developed, she was a witness at his execution. I knew all that, but I had forgotten this part. She says that what happened afterwards was her annunciation. She went out into the prison yard, and she could not control the shaking, and she vomited. And in that moment, the angel came. Not literally. She didn't hear a voice. And it really wasn't totally clear at the moment, but she knew she was being called to do something, and it became clear over time. She was being called to end this practice. Nowadays, in her office, there's a corner of the office that has a phone and a computer for emails, and any request that comes in for her to come and speak, they call that corner Annunciation Corner. She says, when I go out to speak, those are little annunciations, but all of them stemmed from the big annunciation in that prison yard, which stemmed from this annunciation in the Gospel of Luke. At the seminary, I used to tell students that when the passage that you're preaching from is a narrative, a story, one of the things you have to figure out at some point is who are we in the drama? As I started reading this and studying this, I thought pretty early on, we're the audience. We're, we're at Luke's Christmas pageant because, I mean, he's an archangel. She's the Virgin Mary. That's just not who we are. But then I remembered that the Greek word translated angel it's really messenger. We are all of us messengers of justice. One of my favorite rabbis, besides Jesus, of course, is a man named Jonathan Sachs. He passed away just a few weeks ago. And just this week, I was reading his last book. But I, I stumbled onto something that he'd written earlier. It's a fascinating story. It's kind of more like an image, really, and it's his way of helping us to understand how the stories in the Bible continue. Here's how it goes. Something like this. You're in this huge library, floor to ceiling, volumes this thick, and you're, you're browsing the stacks, and you're just kind of curious about it all, isn't it? And then one of them, on the spine, it's your family name. Your last name. You're, you're so curious. You, you pull it off. It's heavy. You set it on your lap and you open the pages. And there early in the book, it says at the top, Abraham and Sarah. And on that page is their story. And you flip over. Moses and Miriam. 
and there's their story. And because we're in a Christian tradition, you keep flipping, and there's Jesus' name at the top and his story and St. Paul and his story over and over like that. And you keep flipping, and eventually you see it. It's, it's your grandparents and, and your parents. And sure enough, it's not at the end of the book, but you, you flip over one more page, and there at the top is your name. And not a word below it. Nothing. Your story has not yet been told. Not fully told. How will you play the part? What, what story will you tell this Christmas? And beyond.